Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show. It is our 336th podcast. Today is December 23rd, 2018. Coming to the end of the year, I hope you've had a great 2018. I know people complain about it a lot, but uh, hey, there's been a lot of good, and I think 2019 is going to be a stellar year, so uh, hang in there. We've got a great show tonight. You know, we uh, talk about a lot of different wellness things on the show, uh, most recently in the past year or so. And tonight, we're going to talk about yoga with Cindy Warren. Um, she's got a book called Radiate, Using Your Yoga using yoga to Cultivate Your Inner Shine. And uh, it's a good topic. Um, my wife is a, uh, a yogi. She uh, actually has been to Yogaville, and uh, she teaches yoga teachers. But I, I don't really do yoga. I do uh, a lot of yoga movements in my own personal exercise routine. But I've never, uh, I've taken about five classes or so. And I think it's fantastic. But I just, I do other stuff. But uh, this will be a great education for me, as well as hopefully for some of our listeners who don't do yoga. And for those who do, you learn a lot more about uh, all the good stuff that yoga uh, uh, has for us. So looking forward to that. We'll bring Cindy out in a few minutes. Um, this is Guys Guys Radio, the place where men where men and women can be their best. Everyone wins. We've been doing the show for a couple of years now. I know I told you the big news on uh, last show, but if you haven't heard it, we're going to take Guys Guys Radio is going to expand its footprint. Right now we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Blog Talk Radio, which is the platform, and uh, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and uh, and Blog Talk Radio, but we're going to be going to Terrestrial Radio. We're going to be on um, two FM stations on KCAA in Southern California. We're going to be on um, 106.5 as well as 102.3, and uh, also on AM, one, uh, 10.50 AM in Southern California on Wednesday evenings from uh, 8 till 9. So, uh not every show will go on there. We usually do two a week here, but we'll uh, do one show a week on KCAA. So that's a big thrill because also after a few shows, then we go on to iHeartRadio as well as Spreaker. So our footprint of potential listeners is going to have a quantum leap forward. So really excited about that. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun too. So well, hopefully we can get a lot of more information out for people because really what Guys Guys Radio has evolved into is a place where people are seeking. They want to open a door and look and see what else is out there um, for them besides what they get out of their job and their paycheck and their the usual stuff. Um, Guys Guys Radio provides a lot of information, a lot of experts in a lot of different areas, relationships, wellness, spirituality, physical stuff. Uh, even uh, even fantasy football, too. So we do everything through kind of the guy's guy's filter. Also, what's a guy's guy? He's kind of an updated modern man, but in the best sense of the word. Um, casual confidence, unassuming strength, seductive integrity, emotional intelligence, timeless style, and a lot of fun. So it all started with my novel, uh, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. You can pick that up on Amazon, any of the e-tailers and some bookstores still. Um, also, my website, Robert Manny, M-A-N-N-I.com, has everything about uh, me and uh, the brand. And I'm all over social media also, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, et cetera. Uh, so hit me up if you're, on, if you're online. Um, let's see what's happening. We're, it's holiday season in New York. Yesterday was my birthday. Um, I had a great time. I was with my wife and son. You know, this year I went on this, uh, P, po, uh, excuse me, process of elimination diet, which I've talked about a number of times on the show. And I, I'm on my, this is the 52nd week that started today. So I've given up something every week for the entire year. So I'm on week 52. And this week I've given up my beloved peanut butter. I only eat 100% Valencia organic peanuts 
because they're the healthiest that you can find. Because in a lot of peanuts, supposedly, what I've read is there's uh, some mold issues for a lot of other peanuts that we don't really know about, and it can affect your liver. But anyhow, we go for it. It says supposedly the best of the bunch are 100% organic Valencia. And believe it or not, you can buy it at uh, some of the uh, – I think you can order it uh, through Amazon, but you can get it from, like, the, the in bulk. So we get two giant uh, – th- it comes in threes, three big – I don't know. It's about 28 ounces of it, and it's uh, it tastes really good. But I, and I just love for whatever reason I love peanut butter, so I'm giving it up. It's the last month though, last week, um, and I haven't had a drop of alcohol the entire year. You know, when you tell people when oh hey, I mentioned to a couple of people, you know, I haven't had one touch of alcohol the entire year, and they're like, oh that's good, especially if you have a problem. Well, you know what? You can give up alcohol for a year without having a problem. I didn't have a problem with alcohol. I don't have one now. I just wanted to see what it was like. And it's been great. Um, Do I miss it? Yeah, I like a really high-end tequila to sip on. I like really, really good vodka to sip on. I like a glass of sparkling wine now and then. Um, But I'm not a big drinker anymore, as I was in the old days. I like to party, but not so much anymore. But when you take a year off, you find that uh, you lose your cravings for sugar, and for the alcohol, as well as I think what happens also is in, in your body, when you lose the cravings, uh, your, your, um, your body has a chance to heal itself. And um, it's affect everything from my brain to uh, my joints. Um, uh, I think it reduces inflammation, actually, the, the not eating sugar. And um, so I, then when I, as I, when I gave up the alcohol the next week, I started eating cookies and I'm like chocolate chip cookie after dinner. I'm like out. So I gave up cookies and then I gave up candy and then I gave up ice cream and then I gave up brownies and I gave up cake and I gave up pie. And I noticed that every week I would replace one sugar with another until I almost ran out of sugar based products to give up. And uh, sugar is a real, I didn't realize it like, wow, we really get a, our bodies get addicted to sugar and it takes a while to get it out of our system, but you can do it. I've done it. I got, well, I got seven days to go, but I think I'm all right. Um, and it's been a great experience. So uh, I was out yesterday. Uh, I had to run down to Chinatown to pick up shrimp because my uh, wife was so nice. She said, I'll make you dinner. What do, what do you want? And I said, shrimp Parmesan. I don't eat meat, but I love shrimp Parmesan. So she said, okay. Um, she was going to go. She said, I'll go to, I'll go out to uh, Arthur Avenue in the Bronx and get the real big shrimp. I'm like, no, it's too far. Don't, don't do that. I'll, I'll go downtown. I'll go to Chinatown and you can buy, you know, they have fresh fish there at a really great prices. So I, I took a trip down there and then I, uh, I walked up from Chinatown all the way back up through up to 14th street. And I took in the city and it was so beautiful. The people, the vibe, everybody was in a really festive mood. When I got to Washington Square Park, it was so gorgeous. There was a nice glow and lighting around the arch. And there was a beautiful tree. And there was a guy playing Christmas songs on the piano right in front of, uh, right in front of the arch in Washington Square. And there was another guy. He, was, he had the big net and he was making bubbles and all the kids were running around. And it was such a, it was such a great vibe. And I, uh, my wife and I have been talking about moving out of New York. And we, we probably will next year and probably headed west. Um, but I, I just thought back of all my time in New York and how I built a career here and I met my wife here and we had a child here and had a couple of different homes here and all the friends and different experiences I've had being in New York city. And so many times when you're in New York, you're like, this is the worst. And so many times like there's no place like, there's no place like it. So, uh, it's a real trip of a town. So if you haven't been to New York city, you got to check it out. If you haven't lived here, it's worth living here for a couple of years for sure. A lot of people, they live here and they never want to go anyplace else. And I was like that for a while. And then I got over it and said, you know what, this is great, but at a certain time um, enough. And plus the city now, it's incredibly crowded. Uh, they did such a great job with tourism that there's certain areas in the city you don't even want to go to if you're, if you're, if you're a New Yorker. Like you don't want to go to Times Square. You want to stay out of Midtown unless you're working there. Um, Fifth Avenue at the round now, it's like wall to wall people. You can't even move. And uh, even, you know, go down in the village and Soho and all that's just jam packed with people nowadays. And, uh, you know, that can be good, but sometimes it's just too much. And then the uh, mass transit system here in New York, I don't know what you've heard about it, but I can tell you from taking it all the time, it, uh, it is really not where it needs to be. And they've, 
they, you know, trying to, they kick the can down the road too much in terms of uh, fixing the signals when they needed to. And now they're paying a price because they're playing catch up and it's not going to, it's going to get worse, I think, before it gets better. But uh, I may not be living here at that point. But, uh, you know, just walking up to Washington Square and the guy with the bubbles and the piano and then the arches. And then I got on the, um, I got to the subway and there was a, a family dressed up in Santa outfits playing the steel, steel drums. I mean, you see everything. A uh, guy playing a trombone on my subway car. It's just w- wild. And as soon as he finished his song and was collecting money, then some kid came on with, he had a bag of, uh, you know, they have a bag of candy or whatever and uh, sell notes for a dollar. And it just, everybody's scraping to make a buck now because at this time of year, if you haven't figured it out, it's, a, it's the most wonderful time of, a year, of the year for a lot of folks. And for a lot of folks, it's a very stressful it's really not a great time of year because it reminds them of uh, what they don't have. So be kind to people at this time of year as best you can and, uh, and have a good one. So let's take a quick break and then we'll bring our special guest, Cindy Warren out. This is guys, guys radio. You're listening to the guys, guys radio. All right. We're back on guys, guys radio. Your host, Robert Manny. Our special show. Let me tell you a little bit our guest about our guest, Sydney Warren. Um, she's a certified yoga and meditation teacher, a lifelong student of the practice. Um, she's passionate about sharing the wisdom and beauty of the practice with others. And in her book, um, Radiate, Using the Practice of Yoga to Cultivate Your Shine, she makes a pers- persuasive case for the continued relevance of the f- philosophical underpinnings of yoga for the modern yogi and even the yoga curious. She lives in uh, Ohio, Shaker Heights, where she teaches yoga and meditation, and she has a legal consulting business. She is an attorney, and she's raising a family there. She grew up in Connecticut, went to Tufts, uh, Stanford Law School, very educated, and she's passionate about learning and growing, whether the courtroom, classroom, yoga studios, uh, and the practice of yoga provides Sydney with a platform for which to do just that, to learn and grow. So let's bring her on to Guys Guys Radio right now. Welcome, Sydney Warren. How are you, Sydney? Great, Robert. How are you? I am fantastic. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, you know, yoga is a wonderful practice. I, I, I'm glad um, that you're on because I can learn more from you so I don't have to bug my wife about it. But I'm just about at the point where my body feels like, you know, now I'm ready for yoga because I've been doing Dan Millman, who wrote the life of the peaceful warrior. He's got a four minute workout, which I've turned into like an eight minute workout. I've done it every day for a year. It does a lot of spine stretching. Um, and, uh, it's, it's really, uh, great for the skeletal aspect of the body. And I think it provides space in your system also. And, uh, breathing is a big part of it. And, um, so tell us uh, for yourself, how did you first uh, come across yoga? I think you had some personal issues. You were an attorney, but you had some personal issues to deal with. Is that true? And then you kind of made a turn towards yoga versus the corporate life? So kind of. (laughs) Okay. Yes, I definitely had some personal issues. I've always been someone who is into physicality and physical workouts back in the 90s. I taught step aerobics when I was in college and law school. And I actually first went to yoga just because I kept hearing what a great workout it was. And this is, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And um, depending on the type of yoga that you're looking for and practicing, it can be an absolute killer of a workout. So the physicality of it really appealed to me at first. And then I really started to notice that there was much more to it than just a great workout. Part of, you know, the magic, if you will, is just a combination of breath and movement, which really brings the whole system together. But there's a pretty large philosophy underlying yoga, which I learned over time, and makes yoga something much more than a physical practice. And that's really what I'm passionate about. Okay. What type of yoga would you say is your specialty? Like, for instance, my wife does hatha yoga, and a lot of people do uh hot yoga, um, what, what's your specialty, if you have one? Yeah, so hatha yoga encompasses all aspects of the physical practice. Um, I like to teach and practice primarily vinyasa-based yoga, which is a flow style linking breath and movement 
in a pretty warm but not hot room. So think mid-80s as opposed to 105. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's a physical practice. I teach and practice really physical yoga and um, try to speak to the other aspects of the practice while I teach the physical what do you think is the most uh, more difficult aspect of yoga to, for people to learn? Is it the, the physical movements and the, the fact that so many people, particularly guys, were like very stiff in the hamstrings and stuff, or is it the breathing? It's a combination of the both, of both, I think. So there is an entire limb of yoga philosophy that is just the breath work, but for the physical practice to really be yoga, it needs to be breath combined with movement. And there are so many different types of physical yoga that there really is truly something for everyone from the guy with the tight hamstrings to the, you know, person that really can't even walk very proficiently. Like there really is yoga for everyone. But I think for men in particular, it's a wonderful way, especially as, you know, we move through the aging process to keep the spine um, healthy and supple so mm-hmm. that we can be self-sufficient and be able to move on our own. Now, what is it about yoga where so many people, they start practicing and then they, they get totally hooked. And like yourself, they start teaching, they learn, they just gobble it up, that all the knowledge they can get. Because it is, to, to me, from, from what I've known and just my brief experience with it is, it seems to be like chess or skiing or one of these or fishing where, you know, the more you, the better you get at it, the more it opens up to be more and more beautiful There's more layers and layers. I think you just, you know, answered your own question there, Robert. It's so multi-layered. <laughs> the more you think you know about yoga, the more you realize there is to learn. And for people that are drawn to growth or knowledge or learning, um, it's kind of a never ending path, which is, which is just wonderful. Now, um, would, do, do you, uh, did you have one teacher or did you have many teachers and do you recommend for those who want to kind of get started on the path to, uh, to try many different types of yoga, to work with one teacher, to work with a lot of different teachers? What's your philosophy on, on that? Cindy? Yeah, that's a great question. I've had so many amazing and influential teachers over the years. And I think learning to have your own voice as a yoga teacher, it's important to really pick and choose with whom you study. Um, So someone who's just starting out as a student of the practice, which all teachers are forever, um, I think it's great to find a studio where you feel comfortable, you feel at home, you feel at ease, and you don't have to have just one teacher. At the studio where I work, there are 20 of us teachers, and we share the same students, and we all give them something different. Um, so I think it's a process of exploration for both the student and the teacher. Okay. Um, when, what were some of the uh, you know, trigger points for you when, okay, first you started taking, what, what, what uh, inspired you to take a yoga class? What were the triggers that you were like, yes, this is for me? And then what, right. was the tri- what were the triggers to get to this next level where you said, you know, not only do I want to be accredited in this and I want to learn it, I want to get to the point where I can teach others yoga. Yeah. How did that all? Because you were an attorney. Journey. And I still am. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yes, I do. A lot, I wear a lot of different hats, as so many of us do. I started practicing You know, as I said, I was so drawn to the physical. And then what I really started to notice was I feel so much better when I leave yoga. And I think when I walk back in my house, I'm a nicer person. When I get behind my steering wheel, I'm a calmer Mm -hmm. person. When I show up at work, I'm a less reactive, more patient person. So I started to really notice shifts in how I was moving through my days. And that led me, um, increased my curiosity about, so what is all this, what is this thing called yoga that seems to be having such a great impact on me? And I immersed myself in study and practice for about 11 years before I finally had a light bulb moment of, hmm, maybe I should teach this. So I was you know, really sort of committed to yoga and the learning aspect of it, as well as the physical practice. And I had developed a meditation practice before I thought, yeah, you know, let me, let me do some training really just to deepen my own knowledge. 
And then before I knew it, I was teaching every day of the week, sometimes twice, and kind of having a second career as a yoga teacher. And and then I went on and got certified to teach meditation as well. So that's, you know, I sort of have like a dual professional personality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you uh, did you notice, uh, did, did your diet change as you got more immersed in the practice? You know, I was listening to what you were saying about the elimination diet for a year, and I am so impressed. That takes so much discipline. Um, absolutely. I don't eat meat anymore. I used to be a complete omnivore. I do still mm-hmm. eat fish, and I eat some dairy. I yeah, played with being vegan for a, a number of years and then decided, for me, my body feels best when I'm also eating fish and some dairy. So that has changed. I'm super aware because when you wake up and meditate every every morning you notice how your body feels so I'm much more aware now of if I have a glass of wine or a piece of chocolate at night right before I go to bed how does my practice feel in the morning the answer is not as good so I I haven't eliminated big categories like sugar or alcohol like you have but I'm more mindful of it I would say Mm -hmm. Mm, that's interesting um Let's let's talk a little bit about yoga itself. Um, a lot of people don't know that they, they particularly here in the states where a lot of people do it as a physical practice and it's a it's a good workout and it does add to the suppleness of your spine and skeletal areas etc. and muscles. Um, yeah. But there are eight limbs to the path. Um, why don't you take a few minutes and uh, just walk us through what those uh, what those are, why they are important, and what we need to know about them. Because your book really takes a deep dive. I mean, your book is really a deep dive on the eight limbs in a good way. It is. Thank you. And the reason I was sort of inspired to write the book was I just kept noticing that of all the people I know who practice yoga, and I know a lot, um, so many don't know, like, the eight limb philosophy. The physical practice, as I said earlier, is Mm -hmm. just one eighth of the practice. So I thought, let me just write kind of like, a layman's guide to this thing that has really been so life-changing for me. Yeah. And with all the yoga books out there, I haven't seen one that actually focuses on this area and does it, you know, step by step. So congratulations to you on a great job. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So yes, I will give you a quick run through the first limbs of the practice. They're ethical guidelines. They're less do's and don'ts and more, Think about these concepts and how you can apply them to your life. So the first limb is called the yamas, Y-A-M-A-S. And these are ethical considerations that apply to how we move through the world. So I'll just give you one example. Okay. Um, the, the first one is called ahimsa, which means non-harming or non-violence. So one who practices yoga is supposed to move through the world, you know, causing it's almost like a Hippocratic oath for yogis, not causing harm. And we can also internalize that and think about it in terms of how we treat ourselves, how we talk to ourselves with our inner narrator. Um, and so that's the first that's the first of five ethical considerations in the first limb called the yamas. The second limb is called the niyamas, N-I-Y-A-M-A. And these are another set of five ethical guidelines that really pertain to our relationship to our, with our own selves. So yoga philosophy posits that we have two primary relationships in this world, our relationship to ourselves and our relationship to the external world, including, you know, our loved ones and the people in it. So the second limb, the niyamas, really brings the practitioner more into awareness of his or her relationship with his or her, him or herself. So, for example, one of those niyamas is called spadhyaya, which means self-study. So, do you have some okay. kind of contemplative practice or way of slowing down where you actually observe what gets you going, what triggers your reactivity, what brings you joy, what brings you sadness? That That would be an example of self-study in that sense. The next limb is asana, which is the physical practice we've been chatting about a little bit. The fourth limb is called pranayama, and that's breath work. So 
if you go to a yoga class, you'll probably hear the teacher cueing breath and movement. Yes. Pranayama is also just its own limb. So there are breathing techniques someone can do that really, they really affect the way you feel because they operate at the level of the nervous system. So okay. we do spend a lot of our lives in the modern world. And when you mentioned Times Square at Christmas time, I felt my heart rate rise. <laughs> yeah. Um, we spend a lot of our time in what's called fight or flight where the sympathetic nervous system is triggered and we are flooding our systems with the hormone cortisol, which can be very healthy if you're in an actual situation where you need to make a snap judgment. Do I stay and fight or do I get out of here? But it's not so good for the system if it's a habitual situation, which is where many of us live. So the breathing techniques in the limb of pranayama can sort of flip the switch from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. And that, you know, along with what you said before about eliminating sugar, can have the wonderful effect of decreasing inflammation and bringing Mm -hmm. so many wonderful health benefits to us. Also, it obviously works at the level of the emotions. If you notice you're anxious and then you check in with your breath, it's probably quite shallow. So by let me let me changing, let me ask you a question about that. Yeah, yeah. let me please, let me please, interrupt. Please. I'm sorry. So many, um, I think, Americans, particularly in 2018, have become like chest breathers, and uh, I know I do the same thing. And w- because we're we we're anxious and we have a lot of anxiety and stuff, uh, t- give us a little bit of a tip as to how people can like a good first step in like being more aware of their breathing and how they can kind of slow it down. Uh, one thing my I take a spiritual enfoldment class on Tuesday nights with a wonderful teacher. Mm -hmm. And she said, one of the things we should do is very easy. Just when you breathe in, when you're mindful of it, breathe in through your nose nostrils and then breathe out through your mouth and take a little bit longer on the way out. And that that actually helps your uh, gray matter in your brain. There's absolute science behind the idea of having a longer exhale and an inhale, it does kick you into that parasympathetic nervous system. So that's absolutely, the whole thing is great advice. I would say a real simple example of pranayama that anyone could do while, whether they're stuck in traffic or waiting on the subway or whatever is inhale to a count of four, three, two, one, hold for a breath, exhale, two, three, or hold for a breath. And then you begin that again and do three to five rounds. And the breath will just go deeper into the belly. You'll get out of that chest breathing and you'll notice an immediate <clears throat> shift in your energy. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. Yeah, my so pleasure. I interrupted you. So you were talking about uh, the pranayama and um, you yeah. want to keep going on that? or you know, And as you see fit, move on to the next one too. Yes, I'll I'll move right ahead because, you know, there are hundreds of pranayama techniques, but the one I just demonstrated is just so lovely because it's so easy and nobody needs to know you're doing pranayama. You can just quietly alter your breath and it will sort of shift your energy. Got it. The next slam, I think we're up to number five, is called Satyahara, which means sensory withdrawal. So, you would think back in the day of monk going into a cave and just sort of retreating from the external world. And the idea is that the path of yoga is one of moving from the outside in. So in modern society, we might find that through a meditation practice or by going for a quiet walk without um, noise, music, by maybe a social media detox. There are so many ways to think about how do we move from the outside in in modern society? So Pratyahara is probably the least well-known of the eight limbs and one that I think may have the most relevance for our technological age when we're all bombarded. All right, the next one is Dharana, which means concentration. And I think of this as the opposite of multitasking. Fix your mind on one point and keep your mind there. Concentration, focus. It's quite hard for those of us that are 
used to a mindset of doing five things at once is better than doing one thing at once because that just means I'm getting more done. Um, yes. So, yeah, that's what, that's what Dharana teaches us. It's also considered uh, the beginning stage of meditation. So it could simply be as you're doing that pranayama, that breath technique I just suggested, you follow the sensation as you breathe in, you follow the sensation as you breathe out. You're actually hitting on three of the limbs right there, pranayama, pratyahara, dharana. So they all kind of end up, they can interweave and such. The next limb is called dhyana, which literally means meditation. So the practice of meditation has always been a tremendously big part of the yoga practice. In fact, when yoga originated in India, it was simply, the physical practice was simply a means to get the body strong and supple enough to be able to sit for meditation. Mm-hmm. And then the final limb is called samadhi, which means spiritual enlightenment or connection. And there are a lot of different ways to interpret this. But in the book, I, I try and make everything as practical as possible. And I think of it as just a, you might get a glimpse of samadhi if you practice all the other limbs and, or have some kind of contemplative practice where you tap into the idea that we all have something in common simply by virtue of being on this earth at this time. Okay, great explanation. Thank you. Do you have, Sydney, do you do a, do you have a mantra? I have a few mantras. So that's a, such a great question. Why were you curious about mantra, Robert? Um, because I know my wife, uh, I mentioned her at the beginning of the show, and she does yoga yeah. and teaches, and she she has one, and I don't know what it is or anything, but I was just curious as, as if every, anybody who teaches yoga, do you automatically get a mantra? And then if you do get a mantra, where, where on that path of uh, learning do you come into contact with finding your mantra? So a mantra is not automatically given to you unless you're in a particular lineage um, where where that's like a part of a ritualistic anointment or something like that. So that's not typical. A mantra is really just a sound or a word or even just a sound that you say inside your head. So mantra is used as a one technique in meditation to help to kind of give your Mm -hmm. mind something to focus on. And when I teach meditation, I mean, the simplest mantra, you can, you can have lots of mantras in Sanskrit, but we won't get into all the Sanskrit stuff this evening, I don't right. think. Okay. But the simplest would be you're sitting, you're breathing, you say quietly inside your head in as you breathe in and out as you breathe out. You could consider that a mantra. It's just something for the mind to hook on as you're engaging in the practice. I often suggest that students adopt a more intentional mantra. So someone, for example, who's feeling not so grounded or not so safe in their lives might have a mantra of I am. So you say I am as you breathe in, Mm -hmm. safe as you breathe out. I am safe. There's your mantra. It could be I am loved. I am enough. I am abundant. I am, you know, whatever you're seeking, adopting Mm -hmm. that as a mantra can be a lovely way to sort of feed yourself intention okay how about um, necessary okay yeah go ahead i don't i don't um go ahead you can go ahead with what you were saying no okay that was okay all right um (laughs) (laughs) um, sound (laughs) what what is your feeling on the importance or or lack of importance on on sound because i know the yoga classes that i took were with a very high level guy named dharma mitra in new york city and my wife. Uh, oh, wow. Was, uh, Did you take Dharma Mitra's classes? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where she got her initial yeah. training. And then she went to Yogaville and did some other stuff. But he, he, I, he was like amazing. He has like a vibe where the whole room is, you know, you're picking up energy. But I noticed a lot of what we were doing. There was some sounds with the breathing. And then um, I started listening on my own separately to these. Uh, I got some solfeggio tones. And. Uh, I put them on in the morning and there's like eight different sounds. And uh, 
it really makes a difference. I know because when I go out and I come back, my cat is sitting in the same place on the couch listening to these tones and they kind of heal you from <laughs> inside. So do you, you know, uh, something people don't really talk about, but sound as part of meditation, you know, sound and sound healing, I think are really underrated and underrecognized. I personally don't have a lot of experience, and, and, and certainly I completely lack expertise in that area, but okay. I know from fellow teachers and practitioners that sound, as you said, can be very healing and powerful because it works you know, at a vibrational level that can affect your cells. So I have been in like a singing bowl meditation kind of thing, but I would not say it's a regular part of my practice, and it's not something I teach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you have a great question here and I'm going through the notes and it's like, do you think modern yoga has watered down too much of the spirituality of the practice? And I think that's a great question, particularly here in the States where, um, you know, I think this is, there's two issues with yoga. One is, uh, you know, the, this, it's very physical in a lot of sense. And then is that the hot yoga, it's really hot. And so that becomes physical in its way also. And it's a way of kind of loosening mm-hmm. up. But the other thing is a lot of people like for myself that sitting cross-legged, I still can't do that comfortably, yet I can do a lot of the other poses, but just sitting there cross-legged and then sitting, I have to sit yeah. on a little cushion or whatever. I just don't like it. I'm still not that yeah. supple, supple. So, uh, supple. So what's your feelings about that? Well, I think it's ironic that the simple cross-legged position is called Sukhasana, which means easy pose. And the question is easy for who? Most Americans, I don't think, can sit comfortably cross-legged. It's actually quite challenging for the lumbar region of the spine. So um, learning proper alignment is very important. Um, and, and that's a little bit of a separate issue than the first question you asked, which is, is, is modern yoga too watered down? I, I do think it is. Now, if someone finds the physical practice of yoga really gratifying and they're not interested in the rest of it, Great. Enjoy the physical practice. I mean, again, I think it go, it's a very individualized process of deciding which parts of the practice, if any, are helpful to your life. I really believe in intellectual dis, or an individual discernment when it comes to yoga. It's, it's less prescriptive and more for the practitioner to discern for him or herself. Um, but having said that, personally, I find the most meaning in the deeper aspects of the practice, the more contemplative, the meditative, the philosophical, the intellectual, the historical. And it's really hard to get a sense of those in your typical 60-minute yoga class. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously there are a lot of people in America who are really into the deeper parts of the practice, but a lot of practitioners and even teachers are missing it. Okay. When we talk about meditation and yoga, for you, what was uh, what was more difficult uh, for you? I always think with most people, you know, some of the initial positions, like the sitting position, is difficult. Whereas, you know, downward dog or whatever, it's not that not that difficult to do. But um, th- that's you know, the, one of the the basic sitting position is it really keeps holds people back from yoga, like you were saying. But also in meditation so many people have so much monkey chatter going on because, you know, you're staring at screens all day and it's, uh, you know, right. I'm, I'm here in New York and you get off the subway and people are there, they, they, they have their phones in front of them while they're walking up the stairs. People can't and walking across the street in traffic and walking everywhere. It's like, I, I make it a rule. If I need to check something, I, I pull over. I'm like, I make, I get over to the side yeah. because it's really yeah. annoying, but um, everybody is just, completely fixated on screens and particularly uh, young kids, which is a, which is a shame, I think. So which, which do you think is, was tougher for you and um, what's tougher for most people that you're teaching meditation or yoga? I think meditation is really hard for most people for the reasons, you know, for some of the reasons that you just mentioned, first of all, you know, society, I think, as it exists today, really values a go, 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 do, do, do kind of attitude towards life. And meditation is the opposite. So there's a Buddhist saying that is, don't just do something, sit there. And it's funny because it's quite counterintuitive to how we think we're supposed to live. 
So for me, I can move through a challenging physical practice, you know, for a lot longer than I can mm-hmm. comfortably sit or lie down. By the way, you can meditate in any position sure. um, in meditation. And so you mentioned the idea of the monkey mind. And this is not something that only plagues modern society, although I do think it's exacerbated by our addiction to technology. It's just simply the nature of the human mind to wander. And so many people think and say, I hear this all the time, I can't meditate because I can't stop my mind. And that's actually quite a big misconception about what meditation is. You don't have to stop the meanderings of your mind. You need to observe them. You need to Mm -hmm. just fill your body and watch what is going on in there. It's quite illuminating if you've never done that. It's almost like, wait, there's a person taking up space in my head with this constant dialogue. You know, who is this person? And then you get into the more contemplative, like, am I my thoughts? Do my thoughts need to control me? Can I create a little bit of space? Do I have to react to this craving or this itch? Um, So, but personally, and I think for most of the people I know, meditation is more challenging. That's that's fascinating. Um, for yourself, um, and having practiced over the years, and now teaching, what um, what 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 are the bigger benefits that you've gotten? Uh, is it more from meditation, more from yoga, or more from when you put them together? I guess. But talk a little bit about the benefits for each one of the practices separately, and then when you put them together. Yoga has. You can have a practice, a physical practice of yoga where you think about different limbs of yoga and you even bring concentration and meditation and a sense of connection and thinking about, you know, ethical guidelines. So the physical practice really could be done in such a skillful way as to encompass more than just that limb. Um, so I've gotten a tremendous amount of benefit from the physical practice. Also, I'm 47, and as I age, I find my yoga practice even more helpful to keeping me feeling and, you know, having the movements of youth more. So it's incredibly helpful with aging. I would Mm -hmm. say it's so hard for me to pick. Um, I mean, meditation has also been a tremendously important part of my own spiritual journey. I think it's made me a kinder person, if you will, that sounds kind of grand and it doesn't always happen that way. You know, not every day am I kind and loving, but I am more days now than I was in my twenties. Let's put it that way. So there's progress. I see progress from all different parts of the practice. And I think it's just a beautifully um, interwoven and connected practice that it's hard for me to just pick one. Okay. Um, if somebody wanted to, uh, just a couple more questions and you've been fantastic, Sydney. Um, if they wanted to start in meditation on their own, um, maybe not taking a class right away, what would be a couple of tips you could give them to, you know, practice at home? Yes, absolutely. Set a timer for one minute. Follow the flow of your own breath in as you inhale out as you exhale. You will notice within the first few seconds that your mind is wandering, and that's okay. Just simply notice to yourself, oh, my mind has wandered. There goes my mind again. And when you're able, bring the focus back in as you breathe in, out as you breathe out. One minute, solid. That's a great meditation to start. Awesome. And uh, how about somebody who wants to begin yoga, but they're a little bit intimidated because there's so many different types of yoga and they're like, I'm not sure which way to go and how do I find the right teacher and what do, how do I find a class that I'm not going to be lost in? Yeah. You know, I, I went to my wife who was, uh, we were dating at the time. She took me to a Dharma Mitra class and, you know, it was like my first concert going to see the Rolling Stones or something. It was like this guy was, uh, yes. people were like, you know, he was really up out there and up there in a really good way. And it was great, but totally. um, some of the people in the class were so much f- far advanced. I mean, I felt embarrassed that I couldn't sit the right way, and they were like in, like pretzels, and they would do like kind of a almost like a dance off at the end. People would get up and start bouncing around in these yoga positions. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Oh my goodness! I think it's a process of discernment. So I would say, 
go just walk into, you know, three or four or even five yoga studios near you, ask questions, ask what kind of yoga it is, ask for the beginning classes if you're new to the practice and see what feels good. There's very much of a vibe thing to finding the right studio and the right teacher. And it's a little bit of trial and error, but there is something in the physical practice for everyone. And yoga is so ubiquitous these days that there probably is a handful of studios, you know, within a 10 or 20 minute drive. Fantastic. Well, listen, um, you really did a great job with the book. I think somebody needed to do this. I learned a lot and uh, I'm really appreciative of you coming on the show and talking about it. And it's interesting. I'm looking at this Waterside Press. That's the same agency that represents me for nonfiction. So that's, that's great. I was glad to see your book there. Wow. Yeah. Other guests too. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, well, tell everybody, uh, Sydney, before you go, uh, where, um, you know, all your social media, where they can find you, the book, et cetera. Okay, I would love to. Thank you. So my book is on Amazon. It's Radiate, R-A-D-I, and the number eight, which is a nod to the eight-limb path of yoga. Um, I spell my name, Cindy, with an S. So it's S-I-N-D-Y, Warren. And then I'm on Facebook, same name, Instagram, Cindy J. Warren. And I have a website, yogaforyourbestlife.com, and the book's available on there as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, uh, Sydney, thank you so much. Um, you're a wonderful person, wonderful guest, and I really enjoyed speaking to you. And hopefully everybody, all the listeners, got a, a good, good understanding, a better understanding about yoga if they don't know too much. And those who do know yoga got uh, a little bit more. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Have a great night. All right. You too. All right, folks, we'll take a quick break. Guys, Guys Radio, our special guest again, Sydney Warren and her book, Radiate. You're listening to the Guys, Guys Radio. All right, we're back, Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you back to number 336. Learned a lot about yoga, and uh, Sydney's book is a good one, so check it out. So here we are. It's uh, December 23rd. We're in the big holiday rush. I hope you got all your presents together. I was in Midtown today. I went, my wife took uh, my son. We have a five-year-old, and they went to see the new Mary Poppins. Uh, in terms of a review, I said, how was it? And she said, you know, it was good, but and she said the same thing about um, A Star is Born. She said the songs, the new songs in both movies weren't that great, but the rest of the movies, both movies were good. But the songwriting wasn't where it was in the past on these. So interesting. But I went down to Midtown right around Herald Square, uh, where Macy's and everything else is jam packed. We went to a Korean restaurant for lunch. We had to wait like a half hour. And then it was good though, because we were waiting for somebody else to show up. And so they showed up at the perfect time and the food was fantastic. Um, and my wife's part Korean. So, well, she is Korean, but she's a Korean American. And uh, so we, we, we enjoy Korean food frequently and it's fantastic. If you develop a taste for it, it's very healthy, very fresh and uh, delicious. So anyhow, so it was so crowded though. People, you know what I realized I had forgotten because I did my holiday shopping, my Christmas presents and all of that. 90% of it I bought on uh, Black Friday or uh, I didn't go to the stores. Uh, Black Friday online or Cyber Monday. And as I predicted and I've talked about, most of these sales, they just kind of kept going. They go away and they come back. And there's this uh, app. You know, check out Brad's deals. This guy sends out an email every day and it's got all the stuff that's the best, the lowest prices on everything. I actually found a $150 pair of uh, JBL wireless sports buds uh, for like $49. Uh, amazing. And they showed up in two days. So, But um, most people wait and they wait and they wait. And uh, they like to go shop Christmas shopping, I guess, in the last couple of days. And I should have remembered because I used to live down on West 34th Street, way over between 9th and 10th. I lived there for years. And I used to wait till the last minute, too. I used to walk over to Macy's. They, they would be open on Christmas Eve 24 hours. 
I'd go there at about 11 o'clock at night and do all my shopping and walk down the street back home again. And I'd hop on the train the next day and go to Jersey to see my family. But uh, people love to wait, I guess. And they were all out in full force today. So it was a, uh, I'm not going to say it was a madhouse, but it was pretty darn packed down there around Herald Square. So anyhow, I know people are traveling and people are scrambling. So I just want to say thank you for a great year. I want to thank you for listening to the show and supporting me. If you want to really get behind me and what we're doing here, uh, please consider buying my novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, which was how we started this whole Guy's Guy's brand. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money. It's been called The Male Sex in the City. People seem to really have fun with the book. Um, Then we did my website, robertmanny.com, where I blog. I've got 300 plus posts on everything on life, love, and the pursuit of happiness, and also Guys Guys Radio, where we're now up to 336 podcasts. So if you want to help me out, consider buying the book or go on iTunes and rate, review, subscribe to Guys Guys Radio. It's all free. Good reviews really help us move move up the food chain, if you will, because there's so many podcasters out there now. Fortunately, we got into it a couple of years ago, a little bit ahead of the curve, and uh, we've been having a great time. So thanks so much for everything. Uh, Happy all the holidays to you, whether it's Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, Little Christmas. Uh, they go on and on. But this is a time of year where all religions, everybody hopefully comes together to celebrate. I know we have the government shutdown and all of that, but let's, I want to do politics tonight. Let's just say be thankful for what you have. And most of us, if you think about it, you have a lot more than you realize. And if you have your health, you pretty much have everything. So this is Guys Guys Radio. Wishing you all the best. And remember what I always like to say, guys, guys, finish first.